0: Thirty years ago or so, I I figure about 32, 33 years ago, when God called me to pastor the church, it was a very small church and we met in various places and um, didn't have a worship leader because I was and so I did that and sang the songs and then taught the Bible and then we had fellowship and had a wonderful time and uh, just brought back some some thoughts about how sweet it is to know that no matter how many people we may gather into a room like this there's still a need to have a a sweetness about our fellowship first and foremost with the Lord and then secondly with each other so um, yeah, don't expect this every week This morning, I'd like to have you turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3, and uh, as you're doing that, we're going to take just a little time off from our study in the Gospel of John. I've been preparing uh, to uh, teach at a pastor's conference in the Great Lakes area in Wisconsin, and uh, it's coming up very shortly, and... uh, and I've gone teaching at various prophecy conferences or pastors conferences and and I work on all these these messages as the Lord gives me wisdom and understanding and I, I said, well you know I need to share this with my congregation first, so that's what I'm doing <laughs> and uh, the focus of, of this passage really is in verses three and four that deal with mockers and scoffers in the last days so let's uh let's read verses 1 through 12 and um i i I may just glance back for a moment this little uh, monitor screen i have wasn't working last night so i'm not even going to bother i just want to make sure everything's up there so you can see it or else just follow along in your bibles because that's really more than anything the thing that we want you to do but uh, first, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, it begins in verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts. reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all, Should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons Ought you to be in all holy conversation or conduct and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Shall we pray? Father, we ask for the blessing of your Holy Spirit, for your wisdom and understanding, Lord. Not only for this passage that we're going to look at in 2 Peter, but, Lord, throughout every passage that and every reference from your word, that, Lord, encourages our hearts in these days to stay faithful to you, to stay faithful to your word, to stand upon your word, and to trust, Lord God, every promise that you've made that will certainly come to pass. In this, Lord, we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. About 44 years ago, soon after I had come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, during what was called at the time the Jesus Movement, I was stirred in my heart with, with the message that I had heard on, on the soon return of Jesus Christ to snatch away his church, an event that is called the Rapture of the Church to usher in a subsequent event, a seven-year tribulation period outlined through the prophetic scriptures but detailed in the prophecy of Daniel in the book of Revelation. And while many of us young believers at the time, yeah, I once was young, while many of us young believers in Jesus Christ were learning more about these events from things like Hal Lindsay's best-selling book, The Late Great Planet Earth, how many of you remember The Late Great Planet Earth? Wow, that's a lot. Okay. I was introduced at that time to a pastor through a a very unique medium. What I can only say is now a museum piece, a cassette tape. And when I was given the tape, I didn't even have anything to play it on. So I had to play a couple of music gigs to save up enough money to buy a cassette tape player, thanks to Sears and Robux which I think I'm dating myself by saying Sears and Roebuck. So I had to buy a cassette tape player just to hear this tape. I have to interject and say that in those days, our musical lives and listening of things revolved around vinyl records, which I understand are making a comeback today, but uh, anyway, that's for another time. And so I listened to this tape by this pastor in this pastor's name, was Chuck Smith. And I soon found out that the Lord used him in a mighty way in Southern California as instrumental in that Jesus movement. In fact, he's been called the father of the Jesus movement. And the Lord used Pastor Chuck through the expositional teaching of the word of God reach thousands for Jesus Christ and to teach many more the Word of God. I eventually was led to a church that had acquired Pastor Chuck's teachings through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and I began to check out the tapes from the library in bulk (laughs) to consume them. I, I have the privilege of saying that I I, I knew Pastor Chuck, and uh, was blessed to have him as not only a pastor and a leader, as a mentor, but even as a friend. The tape I initially received was his teaching on 1 Thessalonians chapter four, this great passage about the rapture of the church. And that led to another tape a tape on Titus chapter 2 that spoke of the blessed hope. In fact, let me share with you these words from, sec- uh, from the second chapter of Titus, verses 11 through 15, where Paul writes to this pastor and says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world Let no man despise thee. And I've been looking for that blessed hope ever since. Nothing over the last 44 years has dissuaded me from looking for that blessed hope. Nothing that anybody might say to say, well, listen, where is that hope anyway? You've been waiting for it for 40 years. I'll wait for another 40 if I have to but I believe it's coming because it's God's promise to us. What catches my attention though here in light of this message is is Paul's last phrase in this passage to Titus. There again in in verse 5, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and then notice, let no man despise thee. What Paul was telling Titus, in light of the sublime and and transcendent truths related to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, was that he was never to compromise the message. He was never to compromise the message. With everything that was in him and within him, Titus was to strongly urge the church to reject worldliness and carnality and live Christ-like lives. And when necessary, he was to rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee, Paul would tell him. The Greek word that Paul used for despise <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> is the word periphroneo in the Greek. And it occurs only in this passage. And it literally means to think around or to think above something. Or to turn over in one's mind. But primarily to think above something. And even with the apostolic authority that had been delegated to to Titus, there would still be those who would ridicule him, who would mock him and insult him. And not only him, but his credentials. But they would also regard Titus as a nobody. And Paul did not want Titus to allow people to get away with such responses. Let no man despise thee. Add to this thought a very similar word used by Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12. It's not the same word but it it has the same root word in it. The prefixes in both words are different. Peripherneo in Titus chapter 2 and here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 it is the word kataphroneo and it is in verse 12 that no man despise or cataphroneo thy youth let no man despise thy youth but be thou an example of the believers in word in conversation in charity in spirit in faith in purity and Paul encouraged Timothy not to be intimidated by what others thought of his youth and that and that again is is kind of revealing what that word means not to be intimidated Paul had encouraged Timothy not to be intimidated by what others thought of his youth, but to demonstrate maturity in living a godly life. In both cases, Titus and Timothy were exhorted to warn those in the church that no one was to think of themselves above the need of admonition. Above the need of admonition. And I want to remind you that the things that we're dealing with here today, in Second Peter, and in Titus chapter two, and in First Timothy four, and in First Timothy, Second uh, Timothy three, and in other things that we're going to be hearing in the next couple of uh, next couple of weeks or so, they are all messages to the church and people in the church, people who are in the body of Christ. So please keep that in mind. And today we see the day of Christ approaching. And as we see the day of Christ approaching, the number of mockers and scoffers are growing with intensity, thinking themselves above any correction, above any admonition. And folks, we can expect the mockery and lampooning of the world toward end time Bible prophecy. You know, there are enough videos on YouTube of of people, even in the highest seats in the land, may I say even the highest seat of the land, mocking Christians. Who believe in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you that right now. You can see it and hear it for yourself. But what about those who are professed Christians who ignore or reject outright the prophetic message of the Word of God as it pertains to the last days, as it pertains to the return of Jesus Christ for his church? as it pertains to the state of Israel, because really Israel is at the very center of all Bible prophecy. From Genesis to Revelation, Israel at the cen- is at the center of Bible prophecy. And there are those who ignore Israel in the church and its connection to world events as we see them. There's a movement afoot of, of, of professing Christians who are now believing and and proclaiming a Christian Palestinianism in other words to call Israel the aggressors and the oppressors which in fact is just a lie you have to go to Israel to know that this is why we go one reason is to show that that's not the case but people hold on to what they want to believe and let's not forget by the way The second coming of Jesus Christ with ten thousands of his saints after the seven years of tribulation to establish his throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. This is the teaching of the scriptures, the millennial reign of Christ. But why is it then that we hear some people say, well, that's all just metaphoric. Is it really? In a second letter to the church, the apostle Peter warned the church that there would be false prophets among them. If you will, turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And by the way, your homework for this evening is to read 2 Peter chapter 2 and then read the little one chapter book of Jude, the, uh, the penultimate book of the Bible, which means it's the, next to the last book of the Bible. That's Jude, right next to the Re- book of Revelation. Don't flip your pages too quick or you'll miss it because it's only one page. But read 2 Peter and Jude. Actually, read 2 Peter, all of 2 Peter, and read Jude. That's your homework. And there will be a test. Peter says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. These false prophets come in contrast to the prophets who were moved by the Holy Spirit mentioned at the end of chapter 1. We'll go there in just a moment. But this is a tremendous contrasting that that Peter shows us. Uh, The phrase also among the people there in verse 1. Also among the people makes clear where there are true prophets or teachers there are false as well. Where there are true prophets and true teachers there are false ones as well. Even in the same churches, as Paul attested to in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. I know I'm making you go through this quickly, but we have to go through it a little quickly today. But in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30, it says, For I know this, and this is Paul speaking to the elders of the church of Miletus, uh, and the church of Ephesus in Miletus. He says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Among whom? Among the church. The church in Ephesus. Also of your own selves shall men arise. Of your own selves. Men professing to be leaders and Christians in the same church. Also of your own selves shall men arise. Speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. But Peter declared that we have something that is sure and confirming. We have something that is sure and it is confirming. The word that was even greater than the apostles' witness and testimony. We have the more sure word of prophecy. In fact, if you will go back a page to 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 19 through 21. And notice here that it says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now I have to tell you that when you read 1 Peter chapter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, there right before this passage that we're reading right now, Peter was attesting to being an eyewitness of the glory of Jesus Christ at the Mount of Transfiguration. And what he's saying is, even though I have this testimony to give you, there's an even greater testimony, the more sure word of prophecy. For him at the time, it was the Old Testament. It was, in other words, the Hebrew Scriptures. Today, we have a more sure word of prophecy. What do we have? We have 66 books. Old and new, yet one book with one message from Genesis to Revelation. And he goes on and says, Whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Now folks, it is very clear here that we need the word of God in the days of darkness in which we live. These days are dark. And the light, the only light that we truly have that is more sure and confirming is the light of the glory of God's word. And then he goes on and says in verse 20, knowing this first. That's a kind of a popular phrase for Peter here. Knowing this first. That no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Oh my goodness, today, there are so many private interpretations of this. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Again, you can get on, the web, on websites, you can get on YouTube and just say, you know, everybody's got their opinion. Yeah, but you know what? It's not the opinion that I care about. I, I care about what Jesus says. I care about the, what the Word of God says. This is what we have to teach. This is what we have to bring you to understand. And he says, for the, uh, uh, the, No prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Moved by the Holy Spirit of God. It is vital that we as pastors and teachers and leaders in the church should warn God's people of the dangers of various teachings that do not stand the scrutiny of the Word of God. Things like replacement theology. uh, 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 Some of the ones that I'm going to mention here come from, from a very reformed theological background. That has you know that has taken a, a particular stand on certain prophetic issues and uh, theological issues, uh, Calvinism being one of them. But uh, the important thing is here is to understand replacement theology is a theology that says that the church now receives the blessings that were meant for Israel. Israel does not get the blessings anymore. God has forsaken them. That's not true. I've done studies on this and shown that. The Israel of today is the Israel that God wants in that land before Jesus comes. And I know this, you see, because of Ezekiel chapter 37, that talks about the dead men's bones that are awakened and filled. For us, if you really want a good picture, the Holocaust. After the Holocaust, the nation of Israel rose out of the ashes and dead men's bones became alive here we have a land where their original language is being spoken again no other, no other race of people has had this happen except Israel preterism preterism is a, is a teaching that says that really all the prophecies of the scriptures have already been fulfilled boy that's interesting I guess, we can, I guess we can go home now. Let's go home. All the scriptures of the Bible have been fulfilled. And then there are groups like the New Apostolic Reformation today that are made up of so many people who about 15 to 20 years ago were introducing some kind of fresh wine into the church and saying, you know, that unless you're barking and, and uh, screaming and yelling and having convulsions uh, that you don't have the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm just kind of capsulizing this in a nutshell. But now they're saying there's going to be a great revival and we are going to bring Christ back. Hey, folks, we don't bring Christ back. We don't set up the kingdom so that Jesus can come. He won't come until until we do something. No. Scripture is very clear. Like a thief in the night. He comes. We read that today. And there's other things like the emerging church and its various tentacles. It's too, too much to mention. I've taught about it before again. Just to name a few. From within these, parts, these types of groups come the scoffers and the mockers of those of us who believe that at any moment Jesus can come and take up his church. That at any moment Jesus can come and when he does that, shortly after that, the seven years of great tribulation will take place. The scriptures make it clear that it's that way. So I want you to consider One statement, I'd like to give you more, but of time, because of time. Let me just give you one example of what I mean by mockers from the church toward those who believe in the prophecies of the scriptures. Listen carefully, and I quote, When the disciples wanted to talk about prophecy, Jesus quickly switched the conversation to evangelism. He wanted them to concentrate on their mission in the world. He said, in essence, the details of my return are none of your business. What is your business is the mission I have given you. Focus on that. And those are the words written by Rick Warren in *The Purpose-Driven Life*, page 285. If you'd like to check it out, taking a certain passage in the Old—I te- mean, in the Gospels—and saying, "Well, this is what Jesus was saying," it's presupposing, actually, which is presumption. Because my only statement about that is that this is false, and it's a mockery. And I, I say that because of what it says in Matthew 24. How about reading Matthew 24 or Luke 21 or Mark 13, where Jesus himself tells us about the last days, tells us about what's going to be happening, makes it clear. Yes, there are times when Jesus talks, tells us that we need to concentrate on bringing people to him. But why? Because he's coming again. It's very clear. So to say that Jesus would have said, you know, my my details of my return are none of your business. They must be our business because he shared them with us. That's what makes it so false. Why? Because we have a more sure word, just as Peter tells us. And so this was the basis for the statements made by Peter to the church in chapter 3. So I'd like you to go back to 2 Peter 3 and look at verses 1 through 4. This second epistle, beloved, I now write to you. In both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. I just want you to remember some of the things that I've already taught you and told you in the first letter. And then he says, That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior, bringing to mind the things that we have already taught you, knowing this first, and there's that phrase again, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, So I entitled this message Last Day Scoffers because we are dealing with those scoffers today. Knowing this first that there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lusts. Now that's significant that Peter would designate that they are walking after their own lust and scoffing at the truth of the return of Jesus Christ. And saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And again, I must tell you that we are dealing not just with the scoffers that are already going to be scoffers anyway in the world. We're talking about those who are scoffing who are in the, in the church. And it took a simple fisherman under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to expose the culpable and willful ignorance of the scoffers and the mockers of the promise of the coming of the Lord. If you look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5-7 through 7, now, the next, the next phrase. For this they willingly are ignorant of. Notice, they're just not ignorant of it, they're willingly ignorant of it. They're choosing to be ignorant of this. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. In other words, when God created the heavens and the earth. But Peter goes through a very... Uh, a long period of time in a very short little passage. And he says, By the word of God, the heavens were of all the earth, standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. And describing for us what took place after the flood that was judgment upon the world. And then he goes on to say, But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word are kept in store, Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So things are not as they were before, though they are going to happen at any moment. Some of these judgments are going to happen. Because you see, the scoffers in Noah's day mocked him until the rains came and the waters bubbled up from the ground. They mocked at this preacher of righteousness, Noah who Peter speaks about in his letters. And the scoffers of today mock that very same event in the past and the event that is to come in the future because of this and because of this they have no grasp of the present day signs of the times. So they're not looking at Israel and they're not looking at at the the, the conditions of the world and this move toward a one world government and this move toward a one world religion. And all of these things described for us in the scriptures. And even the rise of of Islam and the rise of of all of this uh, terrorism that we see around us. We have to be aware of the signs of the times because we live in the times of the signs. And back in chapter 2, Peter dealt with the judgments that came during the time of Noah and of Lot to illustrate the lusts of the false prophets as well as the scoffers. I know that's a strong statement, but listen carefully. I'm going to ask you to look at two verses and then I'm going to ask you to look at another two verses because the first two coincide and the other two are the responses. So first of all, look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. And by the way, as you're turning there, If you're not already there, remember that Jesus spoke about the days of Lot and the days of Noah. In Matthew, you know, I believe they're spoken separately, and in Luke they're spoken in together. But but and, and Peter builds upon that. You see, he builds upon that, and he says here in verse three, and through covetousness. Shall they with feigned words, which means words that are not genuine. Pretentious words. Through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. That's an interesting word because of its connotation to the way some ministries prey upon people today. Pray, not P-R-A-Y, but P-R-E-Y. You know the difference and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingers not and their damnation slumbereth not some of these people think you know that they they've they've hit on a on a way to you know to make a fortune in their lives you know using the bible using the you know the scriptures using the people of god and and really using them for their own gain and god says well listen uh, The judgment isn't going to linger much longer, and neither is their damnation going to slumber. Judgment is going to come. Judgment will come. God is very patient. I think we've learned that, how patient God is, even with us. Now, together with that, look at verse 10 of the same chapter. 2 Peter 2, verse 10, that says, "...but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government or despise authorities presumptuous are they self-willed they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities interesting but this is what we read in 2nd Peter chapter 3 when, when discussing the scoffers walking after their own lusts and so where is the connection then? with the blessed hope of Jesus Christ well the connection is found in verses 5 and 9 so now we look at these two verses that are connected together and look at what it says and spared not the old world in other words speaking of what God did during the time of Noah and spared not the old world but saved Noah the eighth person so God brought judgment God brought judgment and when you say, "Where is the promise of His coming?" Because as it was in the day, well, it's going to stay the same. That's called uniformitarianism. You know, this 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 uh, philosophy that you know things just never change. It's, you know, we we change, we die, and we go away. But you know, things don't change. God says, "Oh, yeah, they do." In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, things are going to change for us as believers in Jesus Christ. For those who have been, you know, living uh, their life mocking the things of God and saying, well, you know, things aren't going to be, you know, happen to me. Nothing's going to take over uh, me and, and, and judge me. Well, no, not until God says it's time. The point is, he's already said, judgment is coming. Get right or get left. Got it? You get right or you get left. Left behind. Because notice what happened to Noah. Spared not the whole world but saved Noah the eighth person a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Some people say well This world is as as, as bad as it's ever been. I will say one thing. It was worse at the time of Noah because that's why God had to destroy the world. But don't be excited because we're very close to that. The same with 2 Peter 2, verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations just as he delivered Lot... God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So, where's the promise of his coming? Only God knows, but you know what? You need to be ready. And don't be mocking God. One thing that I appreciated so much about Pastor Chuck and his teaching on the rapture of the church and his, his waiting for the Lord, I, you know, now he's with the Lord today. He's. He, He's home with the Lord. But but the point, of, the point is that he never wavered in the 70s. He never wavered in the 80s. He never wavered in the 90s when people were all saying, oh, there, there are just so many other things that we need to be looking at in this, in this issue called eschatology, you know, the study of last things. And, and, and Chuck says, you know what? Just be ready because the Lord can come at any moment. It's getting close. And every every decade, every generation that changed you know we're getting closer and closer but he never was discouraged because he believed that God will come that Christ will come just as he says and here's the hope here's the hope because the Lord himself is righteous when judgment comes he will not destroy the righteous with the wicked you see, what we don't understand about the difference between tribulation and persecution is that we were told that from the very beginning that those of us who would, who would uh, follow Christ would suffer persecution. That's a, that's a given. If we take a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will be persecuted. We will be mocked. We will be insulted. In some cases, our brothers and sisters in other lands today are being killed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe here we're only being insulted, but others are being killed for their faith. Yet we're called to stand on that faith. But when God talks about judgment, he says, be serious and be ready. Be sober. These are words that are used by the the gospel writers and and, and by the apostles and the prophets. Be sober because the Lord can come at any moment. A terrible day is coming. And I can tell you this, the the, the efforts of man to bring peace are futile. They're futile. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity in in this area. What man can try to do. terrible day is coming. But Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. John 14 verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Stop. I will come again. Metaphorically? Or really? (laughs) I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. The blessed hope. Believer, you have the privilege of that blessed hope. No matter what you're struggling through in this life, no matter what you're going through, no matter how much God has blessed you, Because by the way, every one of us as believers has been blessed. It's not a matter of how much. It's a matter that we deserve nothing, yet God has given us everything. And I want to encourage you. Keep looking up. Keep looking for for the day of the Lord. Keep looking for the day of Christ. Jesus himself said, keep looking up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. Your redemption is drawing near. It's coming. Now, he said that about 2,000 years ago, so it's got to be a little closer now, I would say. A little closer. A lot closer. And the signs of the times are showing us that. You know that every website usually has an about section. You know, it says about, and you kind of press it so you can see what this website is about. Well, in the about section of the Word for Today website, which is the radio ministry of Pastor Chuck Smith, he himself wrote these words in describing the purpose of this ministry. And I am pretty sure that he wrote these before there were websites. But was talking about the ministry, the radio ministry of the Word for Today. And I, I want to read this to you because it is, it is something that, that is so contemporary, so current. And I know he didn't write it just yesterday or right before he, he passed. He wrote it a while back. So listen, he said, and I quote, We are living in a day of great spiritual confusion. When Paul wrote to the, to the Ephesians, he spoke of how God had placed pastors and teachers in the church for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the building up of the body of Christ. The purpose was to bring them into spiritual maturity that they would not be carried away with every wind of doctrine and slight cunning of men who lie in wait to deceive. These are days when there are many winds of doctrine blowing through the church. The greatest defense against deception is a solid foundation in the Word. This is what we seek to develop through our studies in the scriptures. We are dedicated to bringing you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. This is why we offer to you the studies in the scriptures at near our costs, as we are wanting to make the word of God available to all. We want you to build your spiritual house on the rock-solid word of God so that it will be able to withstand the fiercest storms. Boy, do we need to hear those words. And what is the encouragement? The encouragement is stand upon the truth of the word of God. Build your spiritual house on the rock-solid word of God so that it will be able to withstand, and you will be able to withstand the fiercest storms. The reason why there is such a spirit of mockery within the church concerning the prophecies of the scriptures and the prophecies of Jesus and the prophecies of the apostles and the prophets themselves is because man has chosen, first of all, to water down the word of God and secondly, to to lay aside the word of God for other things. To me it is a mockery. Not to get into God's word. It is saying to God. We don't really believe you. We don't really trust you. We'll figure these things out ourselves. And in the guise of some kind of theological. uh, Advancement and, and all with masters of divinity and doctorates of theology and whatnot a paper on a wall doesn't cut it a heart that is dead to self and alive to God and Christ and to, to the love of God's word is what cuts it so I leave you with three things to help us all stand fast in the face of the scoffers of today First of all, be discerning by the word of God. Be discerning in the study of the word of God. This is all the first one, by the way. Be discerning. Secondly, be diligent in studying the word of God. Be diligent in studying the word of God. To study to show thyself approved of God as workmen that are not ashamed. Be ready, instant, in season and out of season. But study. Be diligent in it. Read your Bibles. Pray over what you read. Ask God for the wisdom. And thirdly, be dedicated. Be dedicated to proclaiming the word of God. The whole word. And nothing but the word. So help us God. Be discerning. Don't be afraid of what others say. Be persuaded only by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And remember that your study of the Word of God is worship. It is worship. Jesus said to the woman at the well in Samaria, that God is spirit and we worship him in spirit and in truth. And so worship God in spirit and and in truth and let's pray Father thank you for the opportunity that you have given us Lord to be made aware of the times in which we live in which we may think that just because somebody names the name of Christ that that's all that matters yet your word is very clear that we need to listen And that we need to be discerning. We need to be like the Bereans who tested even the Apostle Paul on the things that he said. How we need to have that kind of desire to know your truth completely and fully and not be deceived by the things that people are telling us. Because Lord, I believe that there are no shortcuts to your truth. We have to We have to get deep into it. There are no shortcuts here. And So in the time that you have given to us, Lord, before the coming of Jesus, may we get serious and may we love your word with all of our heart. May we listen to your word. And certainly, Lord God, may we receive it and do it in Jesus' name. Amen.